Good morning. We have now come to the end of the first segment of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. The segment deals with the divisions in the church and the cause of the divisions, which is pride. Why are the Corinthians proud? What is the root cause of their pride? I think the root cause of their pride is that they are not sure of their identity in Christ. They are insecure. Pride is rooted in deep insecurity. The behavior of the Corinthians shows the characteristics of a prideful person, or I should say, an insecure person. Let's look at the characteristics of the prideful Corinthians. One, they derive their sense of significance from others. In chapter 1, verse 12, each of them, you know, says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And in 4, chapter 6, in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul told them that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Why did the Corinthians boast about whom they follow? Why did they elevate one leader over the others? The reason is likely that they try to get the sense of significance from their association with either Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or even Christ. They feel that they are as important as the leaders they claim to follow. The second characteristic, they were boastful. Chapter 1, verse 31, Paul told them, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 21, Let no one boast in men. Boasting gives them a sense of superiority, that they are better than others. This compensates for the sense of insecurity. Third, they were jealous and competitive. Chapter 3, verse 3, there is jealousy and strife among you. Why do we find jealousy and strife in the midst? They don't want others to be better than themselves. They want to prove that they are better than the others. And fourth, they were critical of the apostles. Chapter 4, verse 5, Paul told them, do not pronounce judgment before the time. They criticized others as a cover for their own shortcomings. The pride of the Corinthians is rooted in the insecurity. This shows that they were not sure of their identity in Christ. In contrast, Paul and his fellow workers were sure of their identity in Christ and their calling. There was no need to prove themselves. There was no need to boast. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, 
I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendations from God. Here Paul regards his fellow workers and himself as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. The word servant originally described the under-rowers. The under-rowers were chained below the deck of a galley, a warship. They had to instantly obey the drumbeat order of the captain. And you, I think most of you would think of Ben-Hur, you know, in the film, when Ben-Hur was an under-rower. And the under-rowers had to work hard under the harsh condition without any recognition. Paul also considered himself a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward is a slave or a servant who manages the affairs of the master's household or estate. The steward was given authority and was entrusted with great responsibility. They asked stewards very specifically of the mysteries of God. Mystery means things that are hidden and now revealed. Give you one example. The crucified Christ. It is unimaginable that the Messiah should be a servant king and not a conquering king. This has come through the revelation of God. So it's considered mystery. Paul and his fellow workers were servants of Christ and stewards of God. A Bible commentator aptly described them as the underlings of Christ and the overseer of God. The underrowers perform a lowly service. The stewards are honorable and above all other servants. It didn't matter to Paul whether he was the under-rowers or the steward. Paul was secured in his identity in Christ. Paul seemed to embody what is stated in the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. So what matters to Paul is to be obedient to the captain as the under-rower and to be faithful to God as steward and trusted in the mysteries of God. Paul was to be accountable to God for what he was called to do. God alone was to be his judge. He is not to be judged by others. As Paul was secure in his identity in Christ and his calling, he considered it a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He was more concerned 
about how God should view him. And Paul is also not to judge himself. He continued, in fact, I do not even judge myself. He knew he could not be objective in evaluating himself. A very good example is that of Moses. In his first, in the first 40 years of his life, Moses was a prince in Egypt and he was so confident that he can do anything that he wants to do. He was so confident that he was able, you know, to bring, to really, uh, vindicate his people. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 say, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. In the middle 40 years of Moses' life, he was a shepherd in the wilderness, and he lost his self-confidence. And he said, I can't. And when Moses was called by God to lead the people out of Egypt, he said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then the last 40 years of Moses' life, he was a leader, you know, of the Egypt, of the Israelites. And he learned that God can. Exodus 3, chapter 12, God assured him that I will be with you. And Moses did miracles, you know, with God's help. D.L. Moody described Moses' life with three concepts like this. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And he spent the third 40 years of his life discovering what God can do with a nobody. Third, Paul is to be judged by the Lord and by the Lord alone. He said, it is the Lord who judges me. The Corinthians should not judge him and they should not judge him before the Lord comes. Your only God knows the purposes of the heart. Only God knows the motive in human heart. So Paul went on to explain that he used himself and Apollos as illustration to get across his point. So in First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, let me read to you. Is I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. Paul urged the Corinthians not to be puffed up in favor of one against another. He admonished them not to show off his superiority. He then proceeded to ask three rhetorical questions. For who sees anything different in you? Or what do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The answers are obvious. They have nothing to boast about. Finally, Paul admonished the Corinthians for being self-sufficient and self-conceited. Please read this section on your own. I won't read it for you. They thought they had become kings, independent of the apostles. Paul wished God's kingdom had indeed appeared that they would rule with Christ. Paul desired the Corinthians to know that true servants of Christ must endure affliction and reproach. He realistically assured, uh, realistically assessed his present condition. Instead of being at the top and reigning, he was at the bottom and faces persecution and death. Paul was sure of his identity in Christ and his calling. He was to please God alone. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. Then he was to be obedient and serve God in all circumstances. Philippians 3, 12. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And Philippians 4, chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. I entitle my sermon, I am his, he is mine. We belong to Christ and he has made us his own. We find our identities in him and are secured in his love. We can overcome the threat of pride in him. We can be set free to live and serve him with joy. Selwyn Humes, in his book, Christ Empowered Living, states that most emotional problems arise from the sense of insecurity, inferiority, and insignificance. Our sense of security, self-worth, and significance can only be found in Christ alone. We are to be sure of identity in Christ. Our Lord Jesus has accepted us as we are. He has transformed us into his image more and more by his grace. We are secure in his love. We are precious in his eyes, and he has a purpose for our life. Let me now conclude with a testimony. A friend visited John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, at his old age. Newton read the scripture passage to his friends, including the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Newton then commented, I am not what I ought to be. I am so imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I wish I would hate 
what is evil cleaves to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. I hope to put off immortality, all sin and imperfection. Yet, though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, or what I hope to be, I can truly say that I am not what I once was. I was a slave to sin and Satan. Now I can hardly join with the apostles and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. This Sunday service is set aside as a healing service. Let's take time to seek God for healing. In line with the sermon this morning, I would like to make special mention for emotional healing. Pray for God to heal us of our damaged emotion, our painful memories. Pray for God to take away our emotional baggage. And also take time to pause and praise and thank God with Paul and John Newton that by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let us pray. Lord, indeed, we want to thank you for your love and for your grace. And we want to praise you, dear Lord, because of your work in our lives. We can become what I am. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you, dear Lord, we are secured in your love. And this morning, even as we come before you to seek your healing touch, Lord, I just want to pray that your Holy Spirit will indeed be with us. And for those of us who are in need of healing, be it physical or emotional or even spiritual healing, Lord, I just want to pray that you will touch us and you will make us whole. Thank you. That Lord, you want us to be the best that we can be. You want us to be fully alive and victorious in you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There will be a Zoom prayer room after the service for those of you who need prayer for healing. The information will be on the screen, so you can just uh, click the link and then uh, log in. And there will be you know, people, leaders will be there to pray along with you. God bless you. <laughs>